Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and we are ecstatic to be back in the round. I am, at least. Uh, so good. Yeah, right? So good to have you here in person. Uh, we are also super excited that you're joining us online. And if you are, we want to make sure that you know one of the best places to do it is at www.onelifeseattle.org slash live. Uh, and there's some extra goodies there for you, and it's a really cool uh, opportunity for you to uh, connect with um, some stuff that we've got going on. So uh, with that though, um, Rich already explained kind of what we have going on here, but I'm going to add my two cents to this. Uh, one of the things about how we set this up is we have the Word of God, we have the body and the blood of Jesus, and we have a Holy Spirit representing the candle. So for me, this is a very Trinitarian uh, setup, but it also with that ties into what we're talking about in the First John series, uh, God is love. And as we go through this, it's going to become really clear that God existing as community has a huge impact on everything that we do. Uh, and so that's going to play out a lot, and this is playing into that. You all being here, I was so excited that people came in and went to this side of the room. Thank you so much for doing that. It's very easy uh, to stay on one side or the other, and... Uh, Especially if one side's empty, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go over there. But thank you for those of you who you divvied yourself up well uh, to be able to see each other, which uh, is really unique. So with all that, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, I give you great thanks this morning uh, for this day and for your presence with us. I ask that as we uh, are gathered together, both in person and remotely, that you would speak to us in that space the only way that you can that is unique from everything else. God, there's something you can do uh, that no one else can do. And so we ask whatever work needs to be done, whatever word that needs to be heard, whatever thing that needs to be spoken, that it would happen um, and you would be honored and glorified in that. Help us to love you and love each other well. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, like I mentioned, we're uh, kind of moving into a different phase of this series. We started two weeks ago, um, and we did a read-through of the entire letter of 1 John, um, which is the way the, the ancient church would have done it, the early church. They would have received this letter. Someone would have read it to the whole group, and we did just that. And then we gave room for response, and we had 21 different responses, which is really awesome. Uh, and if I, uh, I'm going to run through a couple of them. There's lots of emphasis on Jesus being God, uh, that uh, there's an emphasis on fellowship and, and completing the circle of fellowship with each other and with God. Um, John says it's important that uh, the people who he's writing to know that he's been with Jesus. There might be a question about, well, what kind of authority does this guy have? Well, he's been with Jesus. Um, there was um, a really cool connection of uh, someone said, yeah, well, we were reading, my mind kind of wandered off into how do we address the homeless situation? How do we help out? And then someone else said, well, I've been wondering about we should have like a, a donation box for food uh, to go to food banks in the foyer. And it was just this great moment of like prayer happening, action happening, and now we have a donation box in the foyer um, to go along with how we help HIP, uh, the Hunger Intervention Program. So we have two ways now to help, uh, help out with food. Um, there was uh, a word about love being, uh, it needs to be acted out, that uh, God does for us what we're supposed to do for the community. There was a couple mentions of these challenging moments in this book where John seems to take uh, 
he seems to draw some pretty hard lines. It's either this or that, right? He uses words like dark, light, lie, truth, love, hate, life, death, these kinds of words, and creates what feels like these really like clear lines, and it created some tension for some of us. There were some who noticed there's some confusion, kind of the way John kind of circles in his style, the way he kind of writes. It doesn't just follow like a linear sort of bullet point outline, but it kind of moves and weaves in some interesting ways. Um, there was, uh, someone noticed there's two threads, one of love and one of sin, and that John just seemed to kind of bounce back and forth. Um, oh, there's a whole bunch more. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, that'll be enough for now, but so thank you all. We have taken these. We're looking at these. We're bringing them into the series because they impacted how we understand this community to be hearing this, how we understand the, the Spirit to be speaking to all of us, and, and we feel like that's a really important piece. And so um, as we head into our passage for today, I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing some uh, what I'm going to call uh, sort of looking into the background of the story, trying to figure out what's going on, what are some of the the, the interesting pieces of information we have that might help us understand more clearly what's actually happening and what is being written. Um, and uh, the, we try to ask some questions in this, like who wrote it? Uh, who's receiving it? When was it written? Are there any cultural or societal things that we can uh, learn that'll help us understand? Maybe there's a, a big event that happened uh, in the space they're in that lets us know, oh, they're John's probably writing specifically to, to get at this. Um, and lots of letters have information from the New Testament, have information both within the text and some outside the text. Uh, these letters, and when I say these, I'm actually meaning 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John because they're kind of uniquely related. So I'm probably going to refer to them, the, the three letters, as these quite a bit. But um, these three letters don't really offer any of that helpful information. Um, there's... Uh, I think we mentioned that it doesn't follow the pattern of a, of a formulaic Greco-Roman letter um, that has like an introduction like so-and-so says hi to this group of people and here's the reason I'm writing, um, which we actually see in quite a few of the New Testament letters. Like if we have Romans, we see Paul starts off with Paul, a servant of Christ, and then he says to all in Rome. Uh, James is going to say, uh, James, a servant of God, to the 12 tribes. And then Peter, in 1 Peter, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. John, in 1 John, says nothing. Doesn't give us any information uh, like that. Just starts off, and actually starts off grammatically in a really weird way, for a letter. Um, now, so what do we do with this author thing? How do, we, how do I keep saying then, well, John says, John says, because we look at some other letters, specifically the gospel. Um, and so lots of scholars believe that um, if they don't believe that John wrote the gospel, they believe, or if John wrote 1 John, that they believe that uh, whoever wrote the gospel of John wrote the other three letters. And so they tie those all together. Lots of people will say that the apostle John wrote the gospel, so they tie it in that way. But some of the similarities uh, you can see in uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First John 1 John 1.1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have perceived, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim about the Word of life. So there's lots of similarity in the language there. Uh, if we look at John 8.12 and 1 John 1.5, 1, 
in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in 1 John 1, 5, and this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And then John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another just as he gave the command to us, right? And these are just really a small handful of the, the similarities that there are. There's similarities in not just the words that are used, but the themes, the kind of rhythms. It, it feels a lot like, oh, I'm reading something that's written by the same person. And so that's kind of the way that um, a lot of people will connect this. Now, um, another piece that is often helpful is to know the date. Um, most people say that the Gospel of John was written kind of 85 to 90. Um, and so they just follow up by saying this letter is probably just a few years after that, so they land 90 to 95. Um, and that's really some of the best sort of information we have. Um, because what that helps us understand um, is what I'm going to call that the early church at this point is, you know, 60, 65 years after Jesus, and some things have happened, right? Some things that have been challenging. The early church, a lot of them thought that Jesus was going to come back before they died. And so when that didn't happen, they started to think, well, what's going on? What does this mean? And so what I think of is that the church is in its toddler years, at this point, and if you've ever had a toddler or watched a child transition from infant to toddler, you know that although amazing milestones have been met and amazing growth has happened, there's still a lot of basics that just need to be learned, lived, experienced. They're still learning to walk, they're still learning to talk. And in that stage, if I remember correctly, um, there are some things that you say that are pretty, you draw some lines. Right, you do say, I, I remember both back and forth, like a lot of no's happening in the toddler years, like especially towards me, I feel like there were a lot of no's being directed. But, but I do remember, you, you, you know, and Angie and I talking, okay, so we gotta say this, and it's gotta be said this way. There are some things that you think about that way, and so part of me wonders, maybe some of the ways John says things is because there are some new things happening in the church, the early church. They're just trying to figure out how to deal with it, and he said, no, no. If it goes this way, this is going to be damaging. So we we got to draw this hard line. Um, and so I, I think that that has something uh, to do with it. There's also been enough time at this point for people to leave. And sometimes when we talk about people leaving a community, there's different ways it happens. Sometimes there's really good ways that people leave and it's supported and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes there's bad ways. There's been a hurt that's been caused or something. And, and, and both of those things happen. In this case, what we know in 1 John when we read through it is there has been a group of people that have left and it hasn't been good. And in fact, not only have they left, they've caused some damage in the process and they're trying to take other people with them. They're trying to get people to leave that group. And some people think that it's so significant that that might be the exact reason why John has written any of these letters. That, you know, so here's part of that possible story. Like there's a group that's left, they're causing damage. John's writing these letters to help the, the rest of the believers there try to navigate. So what do you do? How do you respond to that? How does that all work? I personally don't think that that is the entire reason 
that uh, John wrote, I think it's significant for sure. Um, but I think it's much more likely that this is simply a growing church and that John, because there's a ton of things that get covered in these letters. And I think that that is a portion of it for sure, but I don't think that that's the, the, the heart of it, the whole thing. Um, a couple more things. Um, John's writing style um, is, and we mentioned this earlier, that some of us noticed that it seemed like it bounces around. It's kind of circular uh, in some ways. One uh, scholar said this, that the structure of John is difficult to outline because its thought is circular more than linear. It returns to the same intertwined theme, sin, love, and sound Christology again and again, developing each further in light of what has been said about the other two. Right, so there's building, but it's not just building this way and then to the next one, it's building over here. And oh, now I'll come back over here and back this way. Uh, and Constantine Campbell, uh, this guy, he said, uh, the major themes of 1 John are knit together in a rich tapestry. And so there's this idea that maybe instead of you know, an outline, things kind of weave and move back and forth. And so one of the things we have to know about this is we cannot force this letter. We cannot force it to mean the things we want it to mean, and every time we try, it's going to end up really bad. And I have an analogy uh, that I know is going to make at least a couple people here very happy, um, but I'm going to compare reading first and second, third John to surfing, right? Because you have to move with the ocean. I can't organize the ocean. I can't tell the wave. I need you to be this big and be moving at about this speed. Uh, none of that works. It's a fight that I'm going to lose every single time. So instead, I have to read the letters, the words, and the thoughts, and I have to let those move me. I have to ride them. And so what I want to ask you is when we're reading this, allow yourself to ride it. Allow yourself not to try to force it, but where does that take you? Just like the other day when we read through it, and Nathan was the one who said, yeah, and my mind wandered, and I went to think about, oh, there's homeless people in Seattle. How do we navigate that? That was surfing. He was like, boom, now I'm here. And sometimes we look at that and we go, no, that's distraction, maybe, but it could be the spirit is saying, yeah, I got you this far, ride this wave and see where it goes, right? So I'm going to ask us to read it like we're surfing um, and allow those things to carry us. Um, the, okay, my interesting side note, I'm going to say it. Um, so first, second, and third John, uh, some people, uh, and I think this is very interesting and I tend to agree with it, um, John preached this sermon and it was written down and that's what is first John. That was sent to some churches in the, in the area that he administered to uh, as a letter. It was read out loud. It was sent to a whole bunch of different churches. Uh, but with it, they sent a cover letter. Uh, and I sometimes get these letters mixed up. Is it TLDR, TLRD in an email? It's like the too long, don't read part. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so I think for some people, Second John is a cover letter that functioned as a little bit of a, if you don't want to read the whole thing, here's like the, it gets at the meat of it, but you still should read the whole thing. Uh, and that Third John was sent as a very specific letter in the community. So here's what people think was happening. John writes this letter, or this preaches this sermon. It gets sent to a bunch of different churches. Um, and in the process of that, there are some people who have left, and they're being a bit of an issue. And so John is sending some missionaries and some ministers to go and minister in these churches, and they're being turned away by some people. And so Third John is a letter specifically to a person in one of these churches that says, hey, there's this person in your group who's been turning people away. I need you to talk with them. We need to be inviting people in, 
right? And they all overlap, and they all have these great moments where they kind of connect and meet. And so uh, I just think that's a cool way to show the connection there. Uh, The last thing uh, that I want to say before we actually dive into some text is what I'm going to call, I mentioned it before, the this or that statements, light, dark, true, lie, liar, love, hate, life, death, acknowledges the sun, denies the sun, those are a few of them. Um, These feel really difficult for us at times, but I want to... um, hopefully encourage us through a a recent TV show called Stranger Things. Um, If you haven't watched it, uh, I'm not, I'm going to try not to spoil anything. Uh, There's a group of friends, uh, predominantly kids, there's a couple of adults that get connected to it in a small town that encounter some uh, very aptly strange things, um, monsters and other kinds of things. In the process of this, um, there's this line that comes up, this friends don't lie. Right? And it gets used a, a lot. And it becomes this, and it feels very hard. It's a hard line. Um, but what ends up happening is they use this as sort of a diagnostic tool for themselves and for others to sort of realize, is the person I'm engaging with or myself, am I being a friend or are they being a friend right now? Right? And, and so it's a way to help them figure that out. And I have a couple of clips because I think they're short clips, about a minute apiece. Uh, I think we tend to receive those lines in a certain way. Uh, And this is going to help us with that. I do want to let you know, too, if you've been here in the past, um, I have a bad history with movie clips, specifically if I I tried to edit out inappropriate language, uh, but this time I actually got it right, so don't don't fear. Um, Okay, here we go. We need some volume. You say soon on day 205. You now say soon on day 326. What is this? You're like counting the days now like you're some kind of prisoner? When is soon. Soon is when it's not dangerous anymore. When? I don't know. On day 500? I don't know. On day 600? I don't know. Day 700? On day 800? On day 600? Great googly moogly. Friends, don't lie. So that's that's one scene, and you can see how that was uh, received. And what was being communicated there was, I don't think you're telling me the truth, and so I'm going to reiterate this line to you. Friends, don't lie, because I want you, if, if you have something different to say, here's your moment. Now here's the other, uh, the other scene that I want to show it was awesome. Everything I said about you being a traitor and stuff, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Friends. Friends go by. I'm sorry, too. Me, too. So, we have two scenes where that line is used. One, it's used to sort of 
to make that line. Like, look, I think you're on this side of that line right now, and I'm calling you out. It's not that I'm saying you can never be in, in, in a relationship with me or never interact with me or that you're always this way or always going to be this way. But in this moment, I think this is where you stand in that. The other scene is, is the complete other side of it, where it's actually bringing people together, that there's an invitation in it where the, the one boy approaches the girl and says, look, everything I said about you, I made these statements, they're wrong, I'm sorry. And her immediate thought is, friends don't lie. And then that brings her to say, I'm sorry too, right? That she is acknowledging, I think maybe I had a part in that too. Maybe I wasn't a friend. And then that brings another kid to jump in and say, me too, right? And so there's a way I want us to think about this because I think we get locked into this. And I think that Lauren pointed this out in the read-through that there's this part in this, in this letter that talks about fear and punishment. And I think so often when we hear those lines, those hard lines, and we have to ask, where am I at? We're f- afraid of being punished because we're afraid we've done something wrong. I also don't want to minimize that John does say in this letter, there are things we shouldn't do and there are ways we shouldn't behave. But What I also want to emphasize is that John puts Christ right at the center, and with Christ, there is a way. There's an invitation to ask, am I being that way? Let's not be that way anymore. Maybe I don't have to stay that way. I remember thinking at one point when, um, uh, I remember just myself thinking at one point, um, if I'm wrong, I want to know like right now. I don't want to just have someone like just let me be because they want to be nice to me. If someone sees something I'm doing because I want to live for Jesus, I want to have my life in line with what Jesus is inviting me to do. And so anytime someone has something for me, I want to hear it. Now, I don't always feel that in the moment when someone's telling me something like that. I try to remember, oh, Greg, remember you had that conversation with yourself where you said, oh, I want people to tell me when I'm doing something wrong. And I kind of regret that sometimes, but I also... When people bring it up, I do. I, there is something in me that is growing that's like, you know, there's, nothing, there's nothing evil, there's nothing inherently bad about me not getting it right and wanting to do better. Right? I actually feel like that's a really good, healthy thing. And so when someone says that, I, I try to, you know, and I, I'm not looking to Angie right now because she knows me better than any of you. <laughs> she might be saying, I'm writing this down. Um, but no. But I do, I, I am trying to, to work on receiving that from a, a, from a position of, they're not saying that, that, you know, they're not judging me, they're, not, they're just saying like, look, there's these things that, that I kind of understand things go this way, and I'm just calling out to you, I don't know if you're in that space right now that is a good one. And so I have to receive that and say, man, maybe that's true. And maybe this is an opportunity for me to change and grow, because isn't that what I want? I mean, I think that's what I want, that's what I say I want. And so I hope when we hear these and these lines, I I want us to not receive them. And because John even says, there are sins that lead to death and there are sins that don't lead to death. And I think a lot of the things that are being talked about here are things where, okay, am I not being loving? Well, now I have an opportunity to be loving. Now I have an opportunity to change. I have an opportunity to grow. Right? And so I hope we can hear that with a little bit of a different kind of tone that doesn't feel so much on the side of I'm fearful of the punishment that's going to lie on that whatever punishment we might sort of believe is going to happen on the other side of that and instead see it as an opportunity this is an opportunity to grow this is an opportunity to change at the very least to engage with someone maybe they're right maybe they're not but I can at least engage with them Um, and so if we can take all that 
uh, and, and keep it in our hearts and minds. Here's the opening of First John. This is 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So John starts off, I'm gonna leave that up actually. John starts off with a proclamation. In fact, he says twice I'm proclaiming something. He says it in verse one and verse three. But then what is he proclaiming? And why is he proclaiming it? Well, he says that I'm proclaiming something that was from the beginning, something that I've heard, seen with my eyes, looked at, my hands have touched this, that all these are true about this thing that I'm proclaiming to you. That he says is the word of life, which we're gonna also see is Jesus and the message of Jesus. So Jesus and his life, I think for John, are so intertwined, they're so connected that that they can't be separated. There's such integrity between Jesus and his message, Jesus living and the things that Jesus says that that, that, that they're, they're, they're one, they can't be separated. And so John here is saying that he's been with Jesus in the flesh and that that his testimony has some extra validity because of that. This is one of the things that was brought up in the, in the response time last two weeks ago that that actually has some weight to it when John starts off by saying, hey, I'm writing to you about Jesus and you know what? I was with Jesus. And he says that we're telling you about Jesus, telling you about this word of life so that you can join us in knowing the word of life that we can all have fellowship together with God the Father and Jesus the Son, and this is gonna make their joy complete. In here, this word fellowship is super important. It's a Greek word means koinonia, and I know there have been songs written about it, and there's lots of ideas about what koinonia means, and sometimes it gets, uh, uh, I don't wanna say watered down, but it is, it gets sort of watered down into this, like it's really about being buddies. Um, but it means uh, participation, close association between people, emphasizing what is common between them. And so this is the story then of John's deep love and devotion to Jesus, expressed in his deep love and devotion to the people he has ministered to in these churches that he's pastorally cared for, that John and these churches have shared life together. They have participated in each other's lives. When Angie and I moved uh, to Seattle in 1998, I was a campus pastor at the University of Washington and Angie was starting a teaching job and we had both lived in community style housing at some point in our lives and we had this dream that uh, we wanted to start something like that at UW, uh, a community house we could have college students live with us and sometime I feel like it was in the fall of 2020, Angie said to me one morning in our kitchen, "Um, I just need you to know like this is gonna happen and I'm praying for it and I'm just gonna live like it's gonna happen. What's that? 
Oh, sorry, 2,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I do some time traveling now and then it messes things up. Uh, but in 2000, yeah. And so, and, and so Angie kind of launched this moment where it was like, okay. And I was like, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But in July of 2000, we moved into a house in Wallingford through some financial miracles. And we had one day alone before college students started moving in with us. And from then, over the next 15 years, we had anywhere between seven, uh, anywhere between four and seven college students living with us all the time. Um, and we shared everything. We shared food, we shared chores, we shared space. At one point, for the first several years, there was one bathroom, one full bathroom. And so uh, at one point, there were nine adults navigating shower time. Um, right. I heard a couple over here. Yeah, no, it, it was rough. But, and thankfully, one of the uh, board members for the campus ministry I was with said, yeah, you can't do that anymore. You and Angie need your own bathroom uh, with your own shower. And so we made that happen. But the, the point is, is we navigated all that. And, and, and my idea was if, if you can still care and love each other when you're trying to navigate nine people through shower time, food choices, you know, we, we let all the students pick the things they wanted to cook. Uh, sometimes that was great, sometimes it was not great. Uh, some of them knew how to cook, some of them didn't. Um, some of them knew how to live with other people, some of them didn't. Uh, but we worked through all of that together. And this goes back to the, the Stranger Things clip. One of the things that I'm convinced of is that those, those hard lines, they can't be lived out well outside of community. They have to be figured out together. Right? And that's what we experienced in this house. That it, our first year, we had, we had some rules. Our second year, we had a manual. Right? There's a difference between you have some rules and you have a manual. And when it, the manual got bigger, right? we had to add rules like don't change, modify, fix, repair, whatever word you can think of, anything in this house without asking us first. We didn't think that needed to be a rule until people started messing with the electricity in the house because they wanted a dimmer switch in their room and these kinds of things. Or, you know, and people coming in with cinder blocks and just dropping them on the wood floor. We had to start making rules because this just wasn't stuff they ever thought about. And so we had to navigate those things. But there were also times when after that, and, and we were in that house with just our kids for a little bit, and people would say, it must be so nice having the house like all to yourself. And you can go into any room you want, really, at any time. And I remember thinking, yeah, but there was something really beautiful about that being together. There was something, uh, there was something really beautiful, honestly, about not having to cook every night. Something really beautiful not having to do, you know, just my family have to do the, all the chores, right? Uh, it was a bit of work to manage some of that, but when everyone worked together in community, loving one another, it was great. And we would have these gatherings. Uh, uh, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving every year, we would have students over, and we'd have anywhere between 60 and 90 students gather in my house and, and pour out onto the front porch for Thanksgiving uh, party. Um, we were doing things like that. Uh, life was happening all the time. I remember sitting uh, in our living room and praying with students for hours uh, on September 11th, 9-11, uh, um, because 
the students, and really Angie and I also, we hadn't really experienced anything of that kind of magnitude where we were adults. Um, and so there was processing that had to happen. And so we sat and we prayed. There were fights that happened. There were disagreements. We had people punching holes through walls. We had stuff that we had to navigate. But we did it, and we always knew that Jesus was there, that we could, that Jesus was keeping and sustaining. Jesus was holding all of it together. And there was a richness there. And John is saying, this life together in Christ can fulfill joy. It can bring something like that. And a lot of us, we're, we're kind of missing some of this because for, for a few years now, we've been hesitant to get together, to be around people, and rightly so. I think our church made good decisions. I think we're still making good decisions in terms of navigating the COVID-19 pandemic. But we have to relearn some of these things because to be honest, some of us have felt like, actually, you know, it hasn't been so bad not being around so many people. I don't know if I necessarily want so many people participating in my life. But I think we miss something when we, when we are limited that way. I think there's something good about having a lot of people who can participate uh, in our lives so we don't just get stuck in one spot. And that's why we have small groups and ministry teams so that people can serve in a lot of different ways and be around people uh, and participate with people. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be exploring later on in this series the Trinity uh, quite a bit. And, and a big part of that... Um, Here's a quote that sums it up very well by Daryl Johnson. The Bible says that God is love, <clears throat> from 1 John 4, 8. Love implies relationship. The mystery is that long before any human being came into the picture, God was already love. God had already existed as a community of love. God existed as love without humanity, creates us, and then invites us to come and live in fellowship, live in that love that we are created to be in that relationship. Now, I don't have any particular points of application and I don't have any questions for this morning. Um, I have two hopes though. One, that we would all know that the love, uh, the love that God has lavished upon us, to quote John further, and know that we're children of God. Um, and the second hope, is that uh, we can enjoy some time together, whether it's here now, downstairs barbecue, in a small group, wherever it's at, um, that we would begin to do that. And some of us might be smelling the barbecue even, right? I'm catching waves of that too. It's getting me hungry. Um, but um, so with that, I want to invite the worship team up. Um, and I hope, I hope that this morning, both the parts about kind of how we navigate those hard lines, um, as, uh, as invitations to investigate where we're at and hopefully move in a better direction um, or, or be affirmed that we're in the right spot. Um, that and the, the idea that God is love and, and that we are invited into this relationship with God. I hope that's just heard as good news today. Uh, so let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll close with um, a song and there'll be, or there'll be a moment of reflection just to let you sit and think for a minute and, and catch some more of that barbecue smell. Um, and, then, uh, and then the worship team will play and we'll close with benediction. Um, 
God, I give you great thanks this morning that, um, yeah, you are here with us and that you exist. Your nature is love. Your nature is community. Your nature is just who you are. And that you invite us to be present and to experience that. And then that we would go and not only treat each other in kind, but that we would show that to the world also. I think it's your hope, God, as you express through John. It's not to draw a line so that people will be excluded. It's to draw a line so people can know where love is at. And I pray that you would help us see that. I pray you'd help us see clearly where love is at and be present there in the work that you're doing in those spaces. Uh, I pray for anyone today who has not experienced that or who is feeling, even like Jessica said earlier as we were singing, like maybe, God, you're not feeling like you're around doing much right now. Lord, I I, I pray that you would connect um, with each of us wherever we're at and that we would truly know um, that we are your beloved and and the love that you have lavished upon us. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.